number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine, ninth Earl Orkney. Can you believe it? That's who's coming on the show today. It is Peter Sinjin, a professor, a uh a no world figure, a person who looks at the world. So a world figure in the sense that he looks at the world. He spent a life studying the world and understanding it so he could explain it to other people in a sensible and structured way. What a great way to spend a living. Or to uh, spend a living, to, <laughs> to spend your life, to take to make a living. Make a living, spend your life. Interesting concept. Do we really need money? I don't think so. Not when that can happen. But that's who's on our show today. This is Mahangel. You're listening to the Manitobaville podcast, number nine, number nine, number nine. This is not, I don't think this is the ninth episode. Uh, <laughs> this is a many episode in, but this is exciting. It's a good number. Number nine is a good, strong, interesting number. So there you go. I think it's working out on all levels. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, then hit subscribe, follow us, rate us, review us. If you're looking for something on social media to follow that's Manitobaville related, you can do no worse than looking up Manitobaville on any of the big three, and uh, they'll they'll know they'll know you're looking, <laughs> they'll know you you're, you're watching us because <laughs> they're watching you. We're all watching each other. The watchers are being watched by the watchees and the watchers and the watch eyes and the watch yous. And we're all just looking. So that's all this happening. It's the world looks around the world and what is it? Genius around the world holds hands and one shock of recognition runs the whole circle through. Something like that. I'm trying to sound all heavy here, but these are just things I read in books because, you know, I read some books. <laughs> you could do worse than to read some books in your life. I've read way too many. And um, you get a real interesting worldview. So it's going to be an interesting conversation. Now, if you want more conversations like this or like other ones you hear, just go to manitobaville.ca, hit contact, and let us know. Make a donation if you want. We will never turn it down. It helps us to get around and to, and to uh, spend our time making these uh, podcast episodes. So there you go. Okay, tell your friends anywhere in the world, because this is a world show. It's, um, we're looking for people from the Manitoba perspective, anywhere they are, anywhere they're resting right now. And they're looking around and they're looking at us, looking at them, looking at you, looking at the big three, <laughs> staring back down the internets at us. So, uh, oh, cover your cameras. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's it. Um, so we're going to get to our interview with Peter Sinjin, Ninth Earl Orkney, uh, the Honorable Ninth Earl Orkney. I have to uh, try and get this straight. I did learn in the interview, so I'm trying to um, put some of that to use right now. To uh, okay, let me let me let me do that uh, again. Uh, I'm going to be speaking in a moment to Peter Sinjin, right on a right honorable ninth earl orkney um or i could say to my lord 
and I will be getting to this interview uh, right after I tell you that if you want to spend some money, you could do no worse than uh, advertising right here on the Manitobaville podcast. If you want to learn how, email us through manitobaville.ca, go on our uh, contact page, send us a missive stating your uh, intention, and we will pass that along to the people who make that happen. Number two, make it so. And that's what happens. And then we go into hyperdrive from there. So we will get into our interview uh, right after this. Hello. Good morning. Hello. Mr. Mr. Sinjin? Yes, that's right. Earl of Orkney? You got it right. How are you doing? I am quite well. <laughs> I'm sitting watching the snow drifting down in torrents. Is that beautiful? Amazing sight, isn't it? Oh, that's great. The wind swirling everything around, except that it's April. <laughs> wow. Anyway, here we are. Very nice. Cozy yeah. and at home. Been, uh, been self-isolating. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I love it. Self-isolating I'm, with myself. and I'm very happy with it, <laughs> yeah. myself. I, I, we kind of self-isolate anyway because we run the publishing house out of a, uh, out of our home. Well, it's perfect, yeah. And we can sort of get out in the garden and garden if we're fed up for doing that, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. we go back in the house and work. I mean, it's kind of fun. That's brilliant. We've actually got all our plants growing in our little grow up in the basement. Oh, nice. They're all ready to br- to bloom, some of the flowers. It's quite extraordinary. They're going great guns this year. Really? When do you start um, that? When do you start that process? Oh, weeks ago. Yeah? Yeah. It depends on which flower, you know. We've got the lobelias, and we've got some of the sweet, uh, whatever they are, um, some of the other ones that are now, and then we've got the tomato plants in last week, and um, something else is going in this week. Hmm. My, my wife's good at all this. I'm hopeless. I just water them and carry them in and out, you know. You have the brown thumb. She has the green thumb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's excellent. So, yeah, yeah, tell us a bit about yourself. You, I, I didn't introduce you properly because I'm not sure how. Yeah. Well, um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm 82 years old, for starters, so I've mm-hmm. seen a little tiny bit of life. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, my name is Peter Sinjin, and um, how do you spell Sinjin? It's spelled St. John. Okay. And, um, but the English call St. John Sinjin when it's a personal name. And the reason for that is that we were French originally from Normandy, ah. and we came over to England with William the Conqueror. Uh-huh. And we were at that point Saint-Jean-de-la-Plage which meant St. John of the Beach, which meant the Normandy Beach. Okay. And those people, by the way, were probably, um, um, they were probably Norse, because mm-hmm. the Norse landed in Normandy. Everybody knows that. That's right. In one year, they So they later on, when I, became, yeah. when I became the Earl of Orkney, they couldn't accuse me of being just another Englishman as <laughs> Earl of Orkney. I said to them, I may be as Norse as you, as a matter of fact. So well, you better check on that one. You may be as Norse as the first Earl of Orkney. That's right, yeah, which was about 850 A.D. 
the Jarl. So, the, the, the so Jarl. we came over to England, mm. Michael, and and we um, the Anglo-Saxons then as now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who capitulated in the end to, you know, to well, Prince William. Well, you conquered, uh, right? Couldn't, that's what, that's conquered, what yes, yeah. yeah. They they couldn't pronounce Saint Jean de la Plage. Forget about the de la Plage. Mm-hmm. They couldn't even pronounce Saint Jean. The nearest they could get to Saint Jean was Sinjin. Okay. And that's of course how Saint Clair became Saint Clair. Ah. Saint Jean, Sinjin. Sin. See? What is sin going on over there? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that fun? <laughs> so I mean, that was that, so yeah. that name has been in English for a thousand years, Sinjin. Sinjin. And we, we're, we're one of those old families that sort of live in and around the upper, the upper um, ridges, you know, of English yeah. class system. We, my, my, I'm descended from, um, from Lady Margaret uh, Beaufort, who was the mother of Henry the Seventh, oh. which brings us very close to the Tudors, mm-hmm. you know, to the Tudor royal just, family. But you, otherwise, you're just that close to being a little bit of Welsh in you, then. Um, well, yes, the, the family, uh, William the Conqueror sent his nobles in all directions, mm-hmm. and um, he sent us up to Wales, mm-hmm. and we built a castle called Fonmon Castle, F-O-N-M-O-N, okay. which is called Fonham Castle, and that's up in the Welsh, and we were the more called the Marcher Lords, and we meant to keep the wild Welsh out, and, and we did, and the castle's still there to this day. Yeah, it's amazing. Everybody talks about all the Welsh castles, and they have to say, no, 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 those are all the English castles, <laughs> because yeah. that's what Longshanks the Keeping the, the wild Welsh out, yeah. yeah. But I've spent a lot of time in Wales, and it's a beautiful country, of course. I was down in South Wales, you mm-hmm. know, in, in, uh, in, in, the very, in, in the south, yeah. um, which is Pembrokeshire, you know, which is beautiful. And that's full of way, uh, castles, too, mm-hmm. where, where Henry VII sent his soldiers in after they retired from France, and they took a lot of um, Pembrokeshire and then yeah. kept the Welsh at bay. Oh, aren't, aren't people well, savage? Well, until they had days. to go and fight the Scots, and then they then the Welsh were their greatest buddies. Yeah. <laughs> they said, come with us. <laughs> so, that, that's so, I'm, yeah. so that's why I'm called Peter St. John. Peter and, of St. course, um, my kids just call themselves St. John because okay. it's just too much trouble to explain this. Wow. But I, all through my life, I've exp- I've done so much media and radio and television work that um, it was necessary to. Well, I just explained mm-hmm. who what it was. Yeah. You know, I I mean, I I, I was Sinjin, and that was that. And you better learn it. Exactly. That's your. That's. Uh, and so and there's, lots I was, of, there's lots of names where you, if you read it phonically, people say no, no, it's pronounced this way, mm-hmm. and you go okay. And you pronounce mm. it, you just get over it, right? Mm. I mean, well, and that's with a lot of the names in Canada because we're such a multicultural society. Yeah. And, and I noticed this teaching university over 40, 45 years. Oh, you're professor. I noticed too. the okay. change in the names of people. And you had to get them right because people want their names right. Exactly. It's a, and it's, so it makes that was a real interesting experience. You know, they started out pretty traditional, but at the end of 40 years, I was getting my my mouth around Ukrainian and all sorts of interesting names and native and and indigenous names, you know, yeah. and so on. Yeah, it was all good. Yeah, well, it opens your mind up, right? So yeah, so I I uh, that's the that's it. And I came, you know, I was born in Canada. I'm Canadian born, in Victoria. Oh, um, I grew up in the Okanagan Valley, mm-hmm. in Peachland and Kelowna. 
And um, I then went to, um, I was sent to England when I was nine because English parents send their kids to school in England. Public school, which we would call private school, right? Yes, I went to a public-private school where they strip you down to your underwear and throw you in the gorse bush to get out on your own, you know? It's it's an expensive way of a parent abandoning a child. You know, it was slightly awful. But on the other hand, I I spent all those years in England going Mm -hmm. off to France and learning French and living in a French family and, and going all over Europe. Well, so I developed yeah. the habit of travel, you know. Mm-hmm. How long did you how long did you do that right through your entire school? Yeah, years? all through my teenage. It made me quite fluently bilingual, you see. Yeah. Can and can you give I, us a little I, taste? Of what? Oh, French? Oh, bien, c'est très important pour parler français, n'est-ce pas? Absolument. Et avec un accent parisien, s'il vous plaît, monsieur. No, I'm sorry, I'm all out of cigarettes. <laughs> no, I had to do a lot of interviews on terrorism in French too. You see. Um, okay, so terrorism professor, is that what you were doing in university then? Well, you know, it it wasn't always that way. Um, and and if you know, if I may just say something here, Michael, and inter interpose it here, mm-hmm. this is a very strange time for me, because usually when there's an international crisis. I'm on CBC uh, talking about it, especially if it's terrorism. Yes. You know, for instance, um, when 9-11 happened, because I'm an expert in airport security, mm-hmm. I spent almost five days on, on the CBC. And other, um, other, other um, places came to interview me on the street outside CBC, mm-hmm. you know, CTV and Global and so on. Yeah. But um, I, I'd written a book already by that time, and I had 957 calls from all over the world wow. at 9-11. And so I just felt in the middle of the battle the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I saw the crisis from the middle of the maelstrom, you know. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sitting at home watching it. It's a it, very different feeling not to be in it all. You know, it's, it's, it's something I read on, I think I read on Facebook, someone not an honor, I guess it was somebody's name. I don't recall. I can't yeah. attribute this, but I just read. They said, oh, uh, virus, coronavirus hits and terrorism drops to zero. Yeah. Is that what, ha- is that what happened? It has happened. Um, it, it's not that terrorism isn't happening. It is. Yeah. But, of course, this is a much more urgent matter for us, you know. Well, this is a real and, personal selfish issue to stay safe and to stay alive, right? This well, is it's like a our, primary thing for yeah. people, isn't it, for yeah. mankind and so on. So getting, Although I must say terrorism has had its real moments, you know. Oh, for sure, yeah. I, I should tell you that the reason I got into terrorism, uh, I'd always been interested in intelligence and espionage and counter-espionage and things like that. I just had a bit of a feel for it, you know, and I mm-hmm. I taught a course called Spies and Lies at university okay. for many, many years. Or It was called Intelligence, Espionage, Insurgency, and Terrorism. Okay. And um, in 1985, I had this amazing student from Thompson of East Indian descent, and he was brilliant, perhaps one of the most brilliant students we had at the University of Manitoba. And um, he and I worked together a lot, and, and he was my teaching assistant, and we were going to write a book together on middle power experience, but he was going back to India. So 
Mm-hmm. In the in the spring of 1985, he came to have dinner with me, and we discussed the book. And a week or so later, he climbed on Air India Flight 182 mm-hmm. and headed for India via Ireland. Mm-hmm. And of course, he never made it. Mm-hmm. Well, he down he went with 328 other people and died. Well, it just turned my life upside down. I guess, yeah. Oh, I was just shocked, you know, and angry, you know, mm-hmm. and upset and so on. And I did a lot of uh, TV and radio interviews about this. And the more I talked about it, the more mm-hmm. upset I got. And so finally, an American publisher said, how would you like to write a book on it? So mm-hmm. I sat down for nine months and I wrote Air Piracy, Airport Security and International Terrorism. And it's, uh, it just it was wonderful. I mean, it was a therapy for me. Are you the reason everybody has to take their shoes off at airports? Yeah. Well, we went through so much over the years mm-hmm. over that because Pan Am 103 happened, you know, in 1988, three yeah. years later. And by 1991, I was, I'd was i been around the trip around the Middle East in 1982, and um, I was looking at Islamic fundamentalism Mm-hmm. and examining it personally. And in 1991 at a conference uh, and on Good Morning America, they asked me when was the next strike going to come against North America. This is 1991, Michael. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I thought, oh, my God, I'm a political scientist. I can't answer that sort of question. Uh, and then I don't know where it came from. I said this. I said, Islamic fundamentalists are going to hijack planes in or near New York, and they're going to fly them into the Empire State Building or the Chrysler Building. To this day, I have no idea where that came from. But uh, I was 10 years ahead, and I was accurate. So it was amazing, really. But I guess that's not, not, you know, that's, anybody looking into that, that would be what you would consider an original thought, but that was probably a synthesis of, it just, was working. Just looking into everything and saying, Even well, deep down, what would you know, happen? you, you yeah. think about it and you mull it over and you remember the 90 interviews you had mm-hmm. around the Middle East and you remember that, the hatred of that sociology professor in Oman mm-hmm. who said, if I had a nuclear bomb, I'd just drop it on Israel and obliterate the whole bunch of them, you know. And I, I felt something cold go down my spine, you well, know. That, and I that, thought, that's a guy with God, a bad marriage, isn't it? <laughs> this guy really he hates them, you know. Yeah. And I, 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 can I get out of here? <laughs> Buy that <laughs> guy know? a hot tub, and he'll he'll get yeah. a little happier. Yeah. 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 So. So that's uh, what it got me into it all. Yeah. And then, you know, by the time you've written a book on it and you've talked to various committees and government and, and, and so on and, and Senate committees on terrorism and so on, you, you become an expert, yeah. which means that you get called on by everybody all the time to talk about it whenever anything happens. Mm-hmm. And I was teaching it as well, of course. So I, I learned quite a lot about terrorism over the years. Yeah. So, so, is this so a, that's is, it. Is, professor. This a, is this a terrorist thing? This, this virus? It is a kind of a terror, isn't it? Is it nature's terror, or is it a... Well, you know, I mean, any of us could die at any point. Yeah. Well, we, we? well to be, uh, to be it's, fair... It's we, entirely we could, arbitrary. To be fair, we could be before this hit. I mean, there's always the bus coming down the road and the... Yes, of and, course. And the, I mean, that, that's not and terrorism and so on. This yeah. is a kind of a sustained terror as you sit and, and yeah. think, oh, my gosh, here's another one and here's another one. How did that person contact that, you know, and so on? Um, I mean, one of our, our daughters, our daughter, 
our daughters bring us food and so on, which is very nice, you know, mm-hmm. and different here. But one of our daughter's friends died of this. Oh, really? It was the fir- that first death in Winnipeg. Wow. Oh, you know, oh. it gets close to you, and you suddenly yeah. think, wow, <laughs> I'm 82. Hope yeah. my immune system's strong. Well, that's kind of the thing. Yeah, that's because I heard that even children under 10 were in Ontario had had yeah. contracted it. Yeah, yeah. an interesting feeling to be inside uh, to be kind of under a bit of pressure so this is probably uh, how those people like it was for using the 9-11 example yeah um, the people right in new york right at the epicenter for yeah. how many days after like this is probably the, that feeling that we're feeling but sustained yeah yeah i mean it was just awful for them of course and they didn't know yeah. that they were walking into terrible illness and cancer carcinogenic you know fallout from all that and, and they're so probably on. looking up and watching planes for you know yeah just nervous and and you know the stories of where people were on that day and what happened was quite staggering mm-hmm. um my son actually measures um buildings with um with a, a machine what do you call it you know um, lasers or something a laser laser yeah. technology and he had la- he had measured um nearly 112 um, um, floors of the of the World Trade Center. Oh, wow. And, and he should have been in it when it went down. But his wife was pregnant and being sick. Mm-hmm. So he went home to be with her. And from home, he saw it go down. Wow. What was he measuring so, it for? Well, um, you need um, what you do... Uh, for commercial reasons and so on, you have to know to the square inch how much you, material you actually have in a building. Okay. And uh, laser technology measures so accurately that it's within the inch print practically. Mm-hmm. And it's a new technology, and he's done it all over the world. He was invited to do a lot of Hong Kong and had to turn them down, but he's done universities all down the California coast and all over the states and Canada and places like that. Wow. Uh, so it, it's a small firm, but he, you know, he was in on the beginning of it. Well, you think and, being and that was, specialized in what he does, he could get everybody to call him Sinjin. We, well, you know, it's funny about that, isn't it? I mean, yeah. he's... It wouldn't take that much work. <laughs> I, I've tried this argument with him, but I, I haven't got anywhere, Michael. And, you know... <laughs> I can't bug him too much. Tell him poor guy is going to be the next Earl of Orkney anyway. So you know. Oh, um, okay. Well, this okay. I have two things. I'm, the first thing I'll ask you is on nine eleven. Do you believe all the um, uh, the talk? They said that the the building had just been purchased. The building had just been insured for a lot of money. It was yeah. full of asbestos. Uh, yeah. Needed a convenient, and the government needed a boost and. It was sort of orchestrated or, or whatever. What's that all about, that whole line of... I, I think it's one of the many, many conspiracy theories, Michael, and I, I just mm-hmm. don't believe in conspiracy theories. Yeah, They're too convenient, they're too easy, they're too lazy, and they're usually too inaccurate yeah. to be bothered with. But I'll tell you something about that. Mm-hmm. One of the things that my son noticed was that there's a sort of cantilever style to the creation of the World Trade Center. And the candy leverage has got great big rubber um, 
things over the corners okay. of, of all the building. And that rubber compound was wearing away. And one of the problems was they were going to have to renew all that rubber covering. Mm -hmm. And it had worn away quite substantially. And they hadn't got down to changing it yet or wondering how they were going to do it. Hmm. And that is undoubtedly one of the reasons that the building was weakened. Okay. That it wasn't dealt with. Yeah, because they've had the, the, the Society of Engineers and that they say there's never been an instance where a plane hitting a steel structure building has done, you know, certainly has never collapsed it, let alone yeah. you know, any real damage to the floor it landed on. But of, but of course, you know, the, 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 the tanks of, of the planes were full of gas, yeah. you know, for, it may not have been a long trip, but um, yeah. it was very high octane. Mm -hmm. And most buildings were built not to take a jet going into it full speed. Yeah, that's... It's sort of like Small a business airplanes. person here not planning for a pandemic to shut them down, right? It's that it's that worst right. case scenario you never consider. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. So you know that's uh, you know it's just one of many things. Yeah. But it was a, an interesting. You know, he he actually saw it go down. Saw the plane go in and phoned me and said, "Dad, they're going to be on your trail. Watch out." Mm -hmm. wow. And uh, uh, I. Uh, I, I did watch out. I don't remember the lot in the next five days. You know, yeah. it was just incredible. Peter Mansbridge, you know, and so mm -hmm. on. We got to know each other pretty well over the years because there'd been so many spectacular hijacks. You know, when the Palestinians were doing it and so on. Yeah, Peter, good, good um, Churchill boy. Oh yes, he yeah. is, isn't he? Yeah, I think he did That's okay. Right. Didn't he? Didn't he? He went on to do some stuff or something. He was quite successful, I think. Oh yeah, I mean, he was uh, in charge of the <laughs> of the of the national. Yeah, oh, that, you know, yeah. And, I mean, he was our our main anchor for the national for many years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he married a he married two people, mm -hmm. both quite prominent, and you know, an actress. The late what latest one is an actress, and okay. the one before that was Wendy Messily, I think. Yeah, there's one before that too. I just can't keep up. No, well, I, you know, it's I'm on, I've still <laughs> with my second wife. So, so you, there we are. So you've probably known him so long, you've known all of his wives then. Well, I well, I knew two of them anyway. <laughs> That's the old joke. How long have you known him? I've known all his wives. <laughs> oh, oh well, you. there we are. Mm. So, okay, so the second question I want to ask you then is... Yes. Um, Earl, Earl of Orkney is a Canadian citizen. Yeah, how does that happen? And eh? how does that happen? Because I remember in the 90s, Cretchen uh, yeah. very firmly telling Conrad Black, saying, if you if you want a title... Then you mm. have to renounce your Canadian citizenship, go with your UK citizenship and have all yeah. the titles you want. No problem. Yeah. You can live here. You can do whatever, yeah. but you yeah. can't be a citizen. So yeah. uh, when, can you just explain that whole, like when that, that those laws changed and the whole yeah. expectation? Yeah, I can. Um, what, what happened was, of course, that Lord Black was a Canadian citizen mm -hmm. and um, he wanted to become a baronet or he, he, I mean, he fished for it, you know. He wanted to become a baron. He gave money to the right people and yeah. did the right sort of things, you know. And the, when he finally became Lord Black of whatever it was. Mm -hmm. The waterfront um, he, or something? Yeah, something. I can't I, remember. It's not that. quite yeah. it. Um, but he he uh, he then was in the position where um, he wanted to go and sit in the House of Lords. Um, right. And... Um, but that clashed with his Canadian citizenship, so he had to choose one or the other. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm an earl, 
which is one of the senior ones. You've got dukes, you've got royal dukes, dukes, marquises, and earls. Mm -hmm. And then you've got viscounts, and then you've got law lords, and then you've got bishops, and and then you, you know, all Mm -hmm. the way down to baronet at the very bottom. The baronets are the bottom of the pile. No, no, my uncle down the street in the pub is the bottom of the pile. Is he? Over in Wrexham. (laughs) <laughs> okay. All right. They're all bottom jumbled the up down there. Bottom of the pile. But, but the yeah, earldom of, the titles, yes. of, of Orkney, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm the ninth Earl of Orkney mm-hmm. since 1696, is a hereditary title. Okay. And so you cannot get rid of it. You cannot denounce it. You cannot change it. You are born through the bloodlines as Earl of Orkney. Okay. And so it goes from son to son to son. So, for instance, my son is the 10th Earl of Orkney. He will be. And my grandson, his boy, will be the 11th Earl of Orkney. Ah. And that has nothing to do with nationality or anything. That's just it. But I used to have the right to sit in the House of Lords. But just as I got it in 1998, Mm -hmm. uh, Tony Blair started trying to reform the House of Lords, you know, and he wanted to get rid of the Blue Bloods. Mm Mm-hmm although they'd done a very good job in the House of Lords always. Yeah. And he banished them, from, that was me, from from sitting in the House of Lords. Um, but he didn't follow through. He didn't create an alternative. So really, hmm. the Canadian, the British House of Lords has become like the Canadian Senate. Yeah. Just yeah. a political appointees. Yeah, a lot of life so, peerages, too. They like to create those. Yeah, those, those life peerages. I, I know a lot of them, you know. Mm-hmm. And so in 1998, when um, it's a, funny, a story of how I became Earl, actually. You wanna, are you interested in that? I think you were born. No, well, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah I'm certainly born. There's no doubt well, about that. the hereditary part, yeah. <clears throat> Boring and born. But um, okay. my, I have to tell you that my grandfather mm-hmm. was a British ambassador. And uh, he was—he'd uh, been ambassador to um, to Istanbul, you know, to the okay. last caliph of Islam, Abdul mm-hmm. Hamid II. And he was going out to be an ambassador in Central America. So on his way, he stayed in a family in Scotland, a friend, a family called the Fitzmorrises, and uh, he knew them very well. And he was about fifty-six, fifty-seven, fifty-eight, something like that, mm-hmm. and. Um, I got a copy of his memoirs when I was at the London School of Economics. I found it in the library. And Mm. there was one startling passage in which he said, um, I stayed with the Fitzmorrises, and the young woman of the family played the violin divinely. I married her a week later. (laughs) And then then on he goes, you know. Well, tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) So he proceeded to have six children. At the age of 57. Wow, there's hope. And my the first son was my father. Mm-hmm. And this and, his, and the, the woman who played the violin so divinely happened to be the third child of the fifth Earl of Orkney. Ah, third child. Okay. And everybody in between was killed in the two world wars, wow. resulting in the title coming down through the female line. Mm-hmm. Queen Anne, Queen Anne did that. Yeah. Because of uh, George Hamilton being fighting so well in the French wars, so it goes through the female line when there's no male heir, mm-hmm. and it came down through her line to me. Wow! Isn't that astonishing? Yeah, it is. It is amazing. It's like the first king of England. How he had all these older brothers, and then yeah, 
pop, 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 and you never expected it. Yeah. Uh, so and so I knew it was coming, actually, Yeah. over the years, and I thought, well, I'll just learn all I can about the world. And uh, when I went over there in the House of Lords and said, well, yes, you're not going to be able to vote, I thought, all right, well, that's mm -hmm. it. No career in the House of Lords. I stay in Canada. Hooray, I'm Canadian. I love mm -hmm. it. And my wife and I got on the train, and we went to Orkney. Oh. And we placed ourselves at the disposal of the Orkney people. Was that the first time you'd been up there? Uh, no, we've had, it was not. Okay. I had already been there when I was teaching in Germany for the Canadian Armed Forces. Well, I, well, I guess you would have known your association since you were for, yeah. since you were first cognizant, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes, I did. Yeah. Okay. Okay. My father had always talked to me about it. Yeah, yeah. So. And, and it's been a love affair ever since. We've had the most wonderful. We've had three or four homecomings. We've created a place where you can find out the house your family lived in. Yeah. I've had two agreements signed between Manitoba and Orkney mm -hmm. for more trade and for the exchange of musicians and fiddlers and so on. Well, you, you know, because of all the James Bay fiddlers and all yeah. that. That association and, between between Rupert's Land and Orkney goes back oh, so far because that was where most of the Hudson Bay workers. 1701 exactly yeah. it started yeah. in 1701 in in Str in, in Stromness mm -hmm. and and you know uh 85% of the Hudson Bay personnel were Orkneymen yeah because a lot of the people and many in of them are in London they stopped wanting to come over that's and, right and so they and yeah. the people in Orkney were looking for work and as the boat the ships would go up there and take on their last yeah. supplies that's anyway it. so a lot of that's it. hired from there you got it. Yes, and yeah. and they were so reliable, and they were such good workers, and they got on so well with the indigenous people mm -hmm. that, as they say, the rest is history. Yeah. So it's a wonderful story, and I, I'm very proud to be Earl of Orkney because I respect these people enormously, What's and that? they're wonderful people when you get to know them. You know, very mm -hmm. straightforward, very liberal, very well-educated, very aware of the world. Um, and they're makers of, is that where they, they in the Shetlands and Orkneys, that's where they make the ring shawls and the... Uh, yes, yes, they do. Mm -hmm. yeah, for the I actually had an interview with BBC Orkney, uh, Shetland the other day, mm -hmm. and, and, the, and the BBC interviewer said, you know, I'm so sorry, I thought your title was extinct. <laughs> <laughs> but there you are, you're a working earl, I'm amazed. He said, I'm so sorry. And he said, but I think you were Earl of Orkney and Shetland, weren't you? And I said, I think you're right, actually. Well, well, the thing, I guess they could be um, led that way in their thinking, because wasn't the Earlship of Orkney, wasn't it um, abandoned twice and then re rejuvenated? No, uh, no, not the, Earl, not the Earldom of Orkney. Why? What made you think that? Oh, well, I read on Wikipedia just uh, yesterday yeah. that yeah. when it was first established, it, it, yeah. it lasted a little while, and then it was... Uh, the person um, gave there it, were a couple of women back. There, mm -hmm. uh, there were a couple of countesses who carried the line on. Okay, sort of in between. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Be because and, and so a when when a was... male came along, the, the, you know, then it it resumed like that. Okay, but it, it didn't. It never discontinued. Okay, so that the, the lineage goes right. When did you say started? Eight, eighteen, sixteen ninety six. And and I've actually got. I've actually got the the parchment creating the earldom, mm -hmm. and I've also got the parchment, as I told the Duke of Edinburgh, actually, I've got the parchment 
when he was made. The first Earl of Orkney, George Hamilton, was made, was the first Field Marshal of England. Okay. I told this to the Duke because the Duke is, an, is a Field Marshal as well. Uh-huh. And I was after him for something. I've been after yeah. him for several things, you know, and managed to get them. He's very nice. I like him. He's a great guy. Did you get a but castle? But the last one, was, he was 97. Hmm? Did you get a castle with the deal? Um, no. <laughs> yeah, there is a castle called the Earl's Castle. There are two Earl's Castles in Orkney. Mm. And by the way, notice I, I call it Orkney and not the Orkney Islands. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the reason for that is that uh, Orkney means, the, Orkney, N-E-Y, means the Islands of Ork. Oh, okay, okay. So if you're calling it the Orkney Islands, you're calling it the Orkney Islands Islands. You're being redundant. Yeah. It's like saying very trivial. people don't, now that you're in the know, you're, you're, they'll know that you really are an old hand and a historian <laughs> when you call it Orkney. Yeah, yeah. But I give briefings to people going over, lots of them, done one in the last week, hmm. tell them what to look for. Mm-hmm. Amazing, ancient, 5,500-year-old uh, um, village they've discovered in Orkney, wow. which is incredible yeah. to look at. Yeah, it's so disjointed, like a lot of those deep, deep history things they find like 10,000 yeah. years ago, 5,000 years ago. and then Well, they, they, they now the... know that Stonehenge came from Orkney. Oh, yeah? The, the thinking behind Stonehenge was, was from the Orkney stones, the stones of Stenness. Yeah. Which is a big circle of uh, 50 to 100 stones, mm-hmm. great big, huge stones going up in the sky. And then they had the blue stones in there too, right? That's right, yeah. They're, they're Welsh yeah. or something? Or, yeah. I don't know. So, it's you know, nice. it's fun when that sort of intervenes in your life. And I, I retired the year I became Earl of Orkney. It's just they just happened to coincide. <laughs> so I jumped from one career into another. Perfect timing. And then my wife, Barbara Huck, her publishing company was just beginning to take off. So I jumped into that, too. Yeah, tell us about that. Well, my wife is, is, is a great, great, great something or other of George Bernard Shaw. And uh, Irish, you know. Yeah. She was Barbara Albertson, but she married Fran Huck, the hockey star. Okay. And had four kids. And um, he mucked off. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had four kids and my wife mucked off. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ended up with eight kids. Wow. Uh, we met, you know, in 1982 and um, and uh, put our stuff together, and now we have 10 grandchildren. So it's like the Brady Bunch in real life. It was just like the Brady Bunch. <laughs> it, was a, it was a riot. I still don't know how we paid for the university either. We hmm. we threatened them with death that they didn't go to university. Yeah. And uh, But there it was. Um, but Barbara was... Um, had had you know started off with children and hockey and never really got into what she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. She wanted to be a journalist, you know. But her father said that the journal school, journalist school, she wanted to go to were all of communists and wouldn't <laughs> let her go. Yes, I, was, she did. Was he wrong? And, well, they were absolutely <laughs> wrong. But so, so anyway, she went. Um, she just uh, got her own BA degree and did her own work. Mm-hmm. Uh, started to work for the Free Press. Won a national. Uh, write, uh, national Writing Award, the first person to do it in 45 years in Western Canada. Wow. 
and um, she's won many, many awards, including Kennedy Shriver and so on since Mm. that time. And she worked for CBC as well, CBC and the Free Press, you know. Hmm. And um, she um, she was co-chair of the Pan Am Games oh, that we okay. brought successfully here in 1999. But none of that was of importance for her. What she really wanted to do was to write. And what she wanted to do was not to write not settler Hitler history, but ancient history. Mm-hmm. And she, Canada's an ancient place, mm-hmm. she emphasizes. And... Um, so that was the story of how the whole thing began. We we wrote in search of ancient Alberta. Okay. I had no idea what she was after, but she knew that if you put archaeology, paleontology, and geology, you know, animals, people, and stones together, you'd get a really approximation of the past. Mm-hmm. And she did this in a route-oriented guide for Alberta. And, you know, 20,000 copies later, we just brought out a second edition of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been wildly popular. Premier, the last Premier, liked it very, very much. And it sells, you know, 100 copies a year at the Royal Tyrrell Museum and so on. And so she got, she started, nobody would publish her book. They said, that's ridiculous. It's (laughs) color. You can't do it in color like that. That's never going to sell. You want to do how many copies? 3,000? You're mad. Well, she did 15,000, and they all sold, you know? Yeah. And so by the time we'd done a couple of books, we had a publishing company. And now 82 books later, we have a publishing company. (laughs) (laughs) 82 books. And we've um, sold over 350,000 books. Yeah. And we have – we don't rely on grants Mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and money from yeah. the government because they make you do 400 copies mm-hmm. and throw the rest in the dump. Yeah. Well, plus, we, it, like, plus it takes you a year to see if you even get a grant. And, yeah. And well, you could have written but, a book by then. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we, we do books very carefully and very well and very precisely and with lots of color and beautiful design, sort of book you want to keep, and yet it's cheap enough, you know, to, to buy and mm-hmm. accessible. We never go over twenty nine ninety five. Yeah. And um, people seem to love the books. And so it's we've been at this 20 years, done 82 books, sold 350,000. And um, we do history, heritage, wildlife, biography, you know. Okay. What's, what's the um, publishing company called? It's called Heartland Associates. Heartland. Okay. Heartland Associates. And, of yeah. course, you probably have a website and all that. If you we have a website, which is just changing right now, and it's going to be heartlandbooks.ca. Okay. Um, and and they we're just changing over, so it may not be accessible in this great this moment, mm-hmm. but it will be. Okay. And um, that's uh, and and that's how you know we I sell books all across the whole country. You know, we've done a book on the fur trade, for instance, mm-hmm. which uh, sold over twenty five thousand copy and going into its sixth printing now. Wow! So you're in competition with um, who's that? The did Company of Adventurers. Um, yeah, not Pierre um, Burton, but his, uh, his con- but his contemporary, Peter C. Yeah. Newman. Peter C. Newman. Peter C. Newman. Yeah, he yeah. did a big three-part series on. Uh, yeah. Yes, the, he. So these are yes, popular he, subjects because it's so like centuries and centuries of information. Well, I mean, um, but we started. Yeah. I mean, the whole of Canada opened up not on Highway Number One. <laughs> it opened up on the Saskatchewan River. No, no, no. The first settler came over. He 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 stayed at the Hilton. He got <laughs> the Holiday Inn. He went up to Tim Hortons, got his coffee. 
decided this would be a neat place to, yeah, to stay, like, right? As he's driving down one number one across the prairie, he's like, you know, we could really do something uh, here, I think. Just amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's Actually, wild. Barbara wrote a book called Kiss Saskatchewan, Kit. which was about the only Orkuman to be governor of the Hudson Bay Company, a fellow called William Thomason, okay. who spent 51 years going down every year from Hudson Bay as far as Rocky Mountain House. Wow. Yeah. And he actually founded Edmonton. Yeah. And uh, so she did this wonderful thing based on all his his uh, his uh, notes on the places that he built and stayed in all along the north and the south Saskatchewan rivers. Mm-hmm. Post notes, you know. and But she put it together. It was historically accurate, but she didn't know exactly how he spoke, you know. Yeah. So she had to make that up. So it was historical fiction, a bit like Ken McGugan. And those are fun. Those are fun because as, you, as you're reading an interesting story, you're learning along the way. Well, it won the top prize in Manitoba. It won the McNally Robinson Award. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's uh, called Kissiskatchewan, the Great River Road. Huh. And it's been very popular. It's a lovely book, you know, and it uh, gives you a wonderful picture of the Saskatchewan River. We We went the whole length of the Saskatchewan River. Mm-hmm. And um, all the way down, finally, to cut the mouth of the Columbia River. And we, of the 350 forts there are along there, we must have visited 120 wow. and photographed their locations. Yeah. So that was fun. Yeah, those are, yeah, because getting out there and actually seeing it. So oh, it's, it's lovely. Probably the, the ter- biggest motivation for doing it. It's you, terrific. Yeah. yeah, we go out in our trailer yeah. and look these places up. Speaking of Hudson Bay and, and the prairies and stuff, my, one of my favorite questions is to ask somebody about the significance of Donald and Smith Street in Winnipeg. Yeah. Donald Smith? Mm-hmm. I actually know a descendant of Donald Smith. Oh, really? Lord's yeah. Rock, yeah. Alex, yeah, Alex Paul. She used to write for the Free Press. Yeah. Well, she yeah. I, she's in the... She's in the St. Andrews Society of Winnipeg, and I just happen to be a patron of the St. Andrews Society. Oh, perfect. So I know her quite well. well. I'd be quite the person to talk to as well. She's interesting, yeah. Yeah. She's uh, She married an, uh, an indigenous person, you know, and rebelled from her family background and so on, and she's quite a character, quite an interesting character. Well, she takes after old Donald then. Yes, yeah, so, oh, absolutely. You know, I'm very of proud of him. Mind. But yeah. she's quite interesting. Yeah. I was always thinking we should put a, a statue of him driving the last spike. We should put it right downtown there. Why not? Why not? What an amazing fellow he was. He spent so much of his life quietly having children, you know, and being in Labrador, and then mm-hmm. suddenly came into a very rich, extraordinary life, didn't he? Well, yeah, the story was that he he was there, and he's the, the junior. What were the guys who ran the forts? Uh, what was their title? Yeah. Uh, well, um, Purser or something? The, yeah, no, no I. Yeah. So gosh, but he's, why do I forget these things? It's ridiculous. Yeah. He was a postmaster or something. Yeah, so he wasn't in charge of it, but he was, he was right no. underneath the guy. And, and no, so their, right. their fort yeah. burned down in Labrador. Yeah. And so that's he walked right. to, where's the Hudson Bay? Is in Toronto at that time, the headquarters? Yeah, and, some, um, Montreal. Montreal. So he walked all the way there, suffering yeah. snow blindness and everything along yeah. the way, got there. Yeah. And they yeah. and they said, okay, young man, what do you what do you want? And he said, well, yeah. our fort's burned down, and yeah. and I'm here to tell you. And they and they looked at him and said, what are you doing here? Then go back and rebuild it. And he was so embittered by the experience that he he trudged back, Did helped he? helped them rebuild it, and then every penny he he earned he saved, and he bought yeah. Hudson Bay stock. 
And the next time he walked into that headquarters, they said, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing back again? And he says, well, uh, as it turns out, I'm the majority shareholder. (laughs) 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 And and, And you're sitting in my chair. Isn't that a story? Isn't and, that a? I, I was yeah. not aware of that. And then That's off he went. Good. He yeah, he was he was one of the first investors in the CP Rail when they first Gosh, with, the, yeah. with the government and yeah, and yeah. because of that, that's why he was out there driving the last spike that joined the railway. Isn't that amazing? And then he sat in Parliament and yeah. he oh, he, he was very distinguished. He went in with one party and then he changed mm. the aisle to the other party not long after, and then he that's left amazing. them and he sat as an independent and. Well, yeah. actually, when he first came to Winnipeg, he was sent out. He he was sent out the very first RCMP division to come into the West because well, they were he also with, he was here during the Louis Riel thing. Well, he came out to negotiate with Louis Riel, and they sat yeah. down and the first the first rebellion yeah. Louis did, and yeah. they sat and they talked and they negotiated, and Isn't the RCMP guys. Uh, I don't think they stayed here at that time. Uh, yeah. they all went back, and then the second re- second rebellion happened, and that's when yeah. Wesley was sent yeah. out by the queen right. but yeah so then then he so he had uh because he'd been here he had sort of an affinity with winnipeg yes and he certainly his, did yeah and then he was back and forth um, and then he went to yeah. he retired where in uh, england or scotland I, or something so, like that i think yeah he became lord strathcona and was loaded that's right yeah cp money it's it's, it's money. interesting isn't it and then that's he, quite a story yeah and i think he then he became a philanthropist and oh he created a, a guard the strathcona guard I think that's right. They yeah, that's right. That. So yeah, he's quite the uh, public involved person. The Lord Strathcona's the, the regiment. Yeah. 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 I'm associated with the Queen's Own Cameron Highlanders here. Oh, well, that's. I'm a... on their advisory council. Yeah. And that's where I've seen the Duke a couple of times. Uh huh. You know, which and that's an old the... regiment too. That the Camerons are. It is an old one, the Camerons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it's um, you know it's the Queen's Own Cameron Highlanders. Mm-hmm. It was the kings before that, I guess. Yeah. But uh, it's uh, it's an they've got a good history. Yeah, our association with that because even Wolseley, when he was sent out, that was the first time he was his first big expedition. But yeah. as a result of that, the people that he came with and they learned bushcraft yeah. and they became a tight unit. They were sent all over by Queen Victoria and they they became the Wolseley Ring. Isn't and, that amazing? And everywhere she really? sent him, he sorted things out. Yeah. So you've done a bit of historical research here. I, I see. I've read a couple books. And, Have you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I read a book by uh, Ivan Trail, the memoirs of Ivan Trail. Okay. And Trail that? is an Orkney name, of course. Okay. And he was a small post manager in and around Winnipeg at the time of the rebellion. And he ended up in the fort, a prisoner of Louis Riel. Oh, okay. And he's got a wonderful couple of chapters describing what it was like with mm-hmm. Riel there in the fort and being interviewed by him. Wow. Which I'd never read before. So there we are. Wow. Have we come full circle? Yeah, because we're, we're talking <laughs> about Louis and we're back to terrorism. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. yeah. So it's been, it's been an interesting life. You know, um, I'm sure something else I wanted to say to you about mm-hmm. all this. Um, you know, I, I mean, when you have a thing like this happening, you know, a pandemic, you begin to think, I wonder if there are any things that I have done that I oughtn't to have done That's or I haven't done that I should have done. How so? You know? Like globally or personally? Or? Well, just personally, you know. Should I write my life story? And oh, okay. Should I get all that 
life of photography organized. Mm-hmm. I'm actually sitting amongst piles of photographs right at the moment. So you need to hire some young archivists. I've, I've been a photographer since I was seven years old. Wow. So you can just imagine how many pictures I have. I can't. No, don't. That'd be a lot. It weighs the house down, you know. <laughs> Yeah. You either have so to organize I, I, that room or you have to go in the basement and put in another I, telepost. <laughs> well, no, it, it, there's not enough room in the basement. No, I mean the uh, telepost to hold the room. We're in, a carri- <laughs> we're in a carriage house, you see, but I've got a lovely, I'm, I'm above the horse's stable. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I've got lovely windows all around, so I'm watching the snow teeming down as, as we speak. Well, this uh, was 1908, the carriage house on Gertrude Avenue. Okay, Gertrude. And, um, My grandmother's we, it, name was Gertrude. Really? Oh my God! <laughs> well, it's it's a, it's an unusual yeah. name, yeah. but we were the end of Gertrude in 1908, and uh, the servants lived up here mm-hmm. in the thousand square feet upstairs, and there were two carriages downstairs and the horses, mm-hmm. and they there was a circular drive, 200 yards away to the Assiniboine River where a stately home lived. Wow, it was, yeah. and the owners of this home uh, owned this carriage house and the servants. Huh. So we're now sleeping in the servants' quarters. And that big house is probably a condominium block now. And it's gone, of course. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure. I could find out who it was. and yeah. it, it was not Nanton, but it was mm-hmm. one of the ones along yeah. there. Nanton had a big one with a huge carriage house. But we preserved this. It's such yeah. a pretty little place. Well, a lot of those smaller ones, yeah, because a lot of the bigger mansions, like yeah. Armstrong Point and that, they were... They were yeah. abandoned in the 40s or 50s That's and right. left empty. Yeah. And by the time anybody thought to care about them, they were just, they were yeah. rotted and they couldn't. Well, the woman next door them. actually kept this because it's made of bricks, you know. Yeah, well, the smaller all, houses would have been lived It's in. got two yeah. sets of bricks with nothing in between. Mm-hmm. So actually, it's very cool in summer. Well, it's like living in and a castle because that's how the castles were constructed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's very nice, actually. It's very stable. And the woman next door had it for 50 years and we bought it from her. And so we lucked out, and we've made it a really pretty little house inside, but it still looks like a carriage house, you know. And so, But she she gardened. There's lots of room to garden. Yeah. It's a very pretty place, actually. Oh, lovely. So what do you think? How are we? Is that it for today? I think so. That's good. Yeah, do you have any any parting thoughts on um, just the general situation? Any I'm, advice I'm to just, to you people? know, I, I must say I'm so appalled at what people are doing about the truck drivers. You know, how people are shutting the truck drivers out of the showers and the bathrooms and so on. I just read a thing two days ago, and I was telling uh, Wendy about that. Yeah. I can't believe that people do that. I mean, it's so All the trucks, ignorant, the rest ignorant. stops are closed because they're scared that two truckers These get These guys are absolutely crucial to our maintenance. Yeah. They're marvelous, you know. It's such a terrible thing to do. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, you know, all the hospital workers and so on are... The frontline workers, gosh, I admire them. Mm-hmm. It's very courageous, isn't it, of them to go out and do that? You know, everybody, and the, store clerks that have to stand and, and expose yes, themselves to, and, and, to and random public people. Did you see the, the last night? A whole bunch of them were given forty dollars each. You know, for standing in line and, and, and in the st- in a store somewhere in Canada, and they gave the money, paid it forward to people who needed the food. Yeah, that's great. I just think that is so lovely. And by the same token, I wish people would stop being undisciplined, selfish, ignorant, unwitting carriers of the coronavirus by mm-hmm. not bothering 
you know, to distance themselves. They really should. Yeah, be more selfish. Like, that's the key, is just be, yes. be completely selfish about your life and just stay still for yeah. a while. It'll die out. If everybody in the world just stood still. That's right. For, like, seven days, and when, whatever it's on, will it'll die off. It'll yeah. die away. Whoever, you know, we can we've, sort out who has it and who doesn't. We've got to do this. And, you know, all sorts of creative things are happening, for instance, because our youngest grandchild, who's 16, had her birthday three days ago, mm-hmm. and um, we couldn't all go and celebrate her birthday. She was quite disappointed. Yeah. And so her mum got um, all the pictures of the family, the grandparents and everybody, really nice pictures, and blew them up and hung them from the ceiling, you oh, know, okay. so as if they were in the room at, at, oh, at, at oh. head length. Yeah. And she came in for her birthday, and there's a picture of her gasping <laughs> and then laughing her heads off. <laughs> as so this great uh, this great mass of people all around her, oh, wow. and just with her parents, you know. That's, that would be quite the same. Well, that? we've got pictures of it. It's really a riot. Yeah. And she just was tickled pink. She thought it was so funny. Oh, my gosh. It was kind of fun, fun way to overcome the isolation, wasn't it? Yeah. Great life if you don't weaken, Michael. Exactly. So don't weaken. I, I, I try not to. <laughs> uh, on that lovely thought, I'm going off to seek some lunch. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks for talking to us today, Mr. Well, it's Sinjin. lovely to chat, and I had a look at all the interesting things you're doing online there, and it uh, sounds like fun. And yes. if you need any clarification or anything more, just get back to us. Oh, absolutely. And what's the and proper way to refer to or to... to well, well, my lord, my lord is the way you address an, or, or, uh, an oh, earl. Okay. And an earl is called the Right Honorable the Earl of Orkney when you write it down. Okay. Peter St. John, the Right Honorable, the Earl of Orkney, not the Right Honorable Peter St. John, mm-hmm. the Right Honorable, the Earl of Orkney. Okay. And uh, he would be, he'd be called Lord Orkney mm-hmm. or my lord. Okay. Well, thank you, my lord. Not at all. Thank you, my lord. That was a wonderful interview. We hope to speak again. So thank everybody for, uh, thank you, the listeners, for making this possible, for subscribing, rating, reviewing, Following us on social media, all of that can be found under Manitobaville, wherever you look. So look no further. <laughs> You'll find us. You can guide our podcast by making suggestions on who we talk to. Should you want to hear uh, somebody talk for a while about what they know about and what they are interested in, we're happy to listen. We're happy to get involved in the conversation. And we're happy to record it and put it up for other people to uh, spend some time listening to. And uh, it's always a lot of fun. I always get a lot of big kick out of who I talk to because people are so different and interesting in, in all kinds of ways. And it's just a lot of fun. It's a great way to spend an hour, a couple hours, a few hours, number of hours. <laughs> it's just how it goes. So there you go. Um, that's it. Yeah. We're hoping to get out on the road this summer, and we hope to see you in the personage, in the personage, uh, and we can see what's happening out there in the greater Manitobaville. All right, um, so let me let this go, and we will see you on the next episode. Jump over and grab another episode down the road. You're all subscribed, I'm presuming, so you can just come back anytime and pick and choose a la carte the um, conversation that you want to jump in on next. Okay, highly respectable situation for yourself and for us too. I will talk to you next time. I'm Angel. 
Thank you for listening to the Manitobaville podcast, which is copyright 2022 by Rodeo Road Studios. Mm-hmm.